Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu melech haolam, asher kitshanu v'mitvotav v'tzivanu, la'asok v'divrei Torah, v'ha'arevna Adonai Eloheinu et divrei Torateka v'finu ufi amka v'tisrael, v'niye anaknu v'za etza einu, v'za etza e amka v'tisrael, kulanu yodea shemeka v'lomde Torateka lishma. Barukata Adonai Hamlamed Torah Leamo Yisrael. Baruch Haba Beshem Adonai. Well, back for part two. Couldn't get enough, so you know what it do. Had to hit you with a round two of Game Face On. For Parsha Bereshit and Parsha Noach. So the other acronym of GO is Go Off. So uh, let's go off because there's been some interesting uh, transpiring of events that have taken place. And one of the things is that there seems to be such a crazy thought and theology that exists in the world about Mashiach not being divine. It is so funny because... Uh, literally, there is such a strong attack against belief in Yeshua HaMashiach. Um, I wanted to start off with this because I'm really shocked that Mashiach is not seen as divine by today's standards of Judaism. Lots of things have transpired to move Judaism to this point because as Sar Shalom and Lapid we are really old, <laughs> you know, and I thought about getting into a, a trend and a mantra with that and really embracing that because as rebuilders of the wall, the breaches in the wall and the restores of the ancient paths, that means we need to be old, which means, you know, our new hip uh, theology that exists in the world today, that Mashiach is not divine and that when Judaism looks too Christian, that's not cool. So we're going to do everything within our power to get away from that. Um, yeah, we got to end that. So it's time for us to go off. And hence the need for us to truly be Shuva heroes. Because when, when you are understanding Torah truth through the words of Mashiach, by the spirit of Hashem, you know, and all that we are learning and diving into at Lapid, when that gets attacked and that gets, you know, like people trying to uh, cause you to forsake Mashiach or cause you to uh, change the way you observe Torah, uh, like don't do it like a Lapid Nick would do, do it like, you know, uh, an Orthodox Jew would do who hides in the corner and, you know, doesn't uh, engage the world in, in the manner that we're exhorted to in Matthew 28. Uh, furthermore, stay away from those letters and all that New Testament stuff. Well, here to tell you that uh, we have a fight on our hands. And it's a very peaceful fight that's only lived out and endured type fight. In other words source up. Okay. So that's the hashtag of this podcast source up. I want to read you something. 
and I'm keeping all names and all um, information uh, out of this because the concept and the information is important. So first of all, this just let me know. Let me know what you think about this, even though I know you can't let me know. But just just think if you were talking. So here we go. So it says this is a, a message that was received this week. I don't understand your belief system or why you want to practice Torah observance in a way that is so out of the boundaries of Torah Judaism. I don't remotely understand why you would want to invest your life into Torah and at the same time hold on to, even if it's a very different version of, which is in parentheses, and then continuing on, a belief that is fundamentally in contradiction to Torah. It's not just because of your opinion about the identity of Mashiach, although it's not correct that it's kosher to believe in any potential messianic figure you choose, although it's not correct that it's kosher to believe in any potential messianic figure you choose. That's interesting. On a far more important level, it's your belief of what Mashiach is. Check this out. From the perspective of Torah, Mashiach is 100%, 100% not an angel. Mashiach is not a name of God or an aspect of God, a hidden mystical level of God. Mashiach is a very, very connected leader who helps us connect to God in the correct way. Mashiach is a human being, a very wise and faithful one. True, but not but human. I want to skip down a little bit. Contrary to what you may have been taught by whomever you've been taught, belief in, yes, the name Yeshu just got dropped. Yeshu. Um, whether that of traditional Christianity or your own theology, that this comes under the category of shituf. Shituf is actually is absolutely forbidden for Jews. So going on down, even for Gertoshav, the non-Jew who is accepted as having a special connection to the Jewish people. Even for that person, Shatuf is not kosher. So let me reread the actual words of this statement. Even for a Gertoshav, the non-Jew who is accepted as having a special connection to the Jewish people, Gertoshav, if you go back to the source of Gertoshav, Gertoshavs can only exist in Israel. So if you live outside of Israel, you can't be a Gertoshav. We digress. Going on to say that this one who has special connections to Jewish people, Shatuf is not kosher. When that non-Jew, of course, keeping the seven laws of Noach, abandons Shatuf and connects to God alone, he moves into the category of Gertoshav. As long as he is attached to Shatuf, he cannot move beyond the status of Goy. For an actual gear who converts into Jewish people, maintaining these beliefs and attachments is 100% trafe. So, 
I just want to point out a few things. Uh, number one, shatuf, if you go back to the dictionary of the Targum, is about joining. It means like a partnership. In other words, calling Yeshua HaMashiach a partner or an extension of God, like intermixing divinity, calling him a manifestation, if you will, uh, of Mashiach is considered shatuf by today's Jewish standards. So, so many problems with that. But let's keep going. Shatuf is about like the best example that was used in the Targum, dictionary of the Targum meme, is that this is like entering into a partnership or a joint relationship. So in other words, uh, we're looking at the connection of Yaakov Yosef or Abraham Yitzhak. Let's go ahead and keep barrel rolling further because I definitely wanted to point this out. We read from the sources that Yaakov looked like Avraham. And the Midrash says, Parsha Vayaki. Then we read Parsha Vayashev, my Parsha, come on, that Yosef is called Ben Zekunim. And Ben Zekunim, broken down, uh, I believe it's the Or Hakaim. But let me go ahead and just go there, because since we're talking about sourcing up, let's go ahead and do this. I'm going somewhere with this. So go to my parsha, which is Bereshit uh, 37. All right. And we talk about Ben Zekunim. Um, boom, 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 boom. There it is. 37.3. Ben Zekanim, I believe it's the Or Hakaim. Let's see if I'm right. Not that it's a competition, but you know. Hmm. Yaakov love Yosef. Or Hakaim says. Reading, reading, reading. Okay, so it wasn't that one. All right, so. Let's go to Magan. Magan, hook me up with some Ben Zekanim, please. Um, Parsha Vayeshev. Yaakov, Yosef. Okay, Yosef looked like Yaakov. The source is Rashi. Bereshit 37.3. It says, because he was a wise son to him. All that he had learned from Shem and ever he taught him, i.e. Yaakov to Yosef. Another explanation of Ben Zekanim, his facial features were similar to Yaakov's. Bereshit Rabbah 84.8. Now, let's complete this circle. Yaakov looked like Abraham. Okay, and then Abraham looked like Yitzhak, because they the the whole original idea, if you've seen the father, you've seen the son. There you go. Okay, so now let's look at the source for Abraham looking like Adam. Let's see here. What do we got? Um Stand by. Did not plan to do this. Okay. Abraham, who is similar to the image of Adam, the first man. Baba Batra, 58A. All right. So I'm taking a little 
screenshot of that. I, you know, I feel like uh, Spider-Man, like all week I've been going around taking pictures of all these different sources. So I'm looking at my phone library and there's like uh, image after image after image after image of sources. But anyway, um, yeah, so there, there's that. So everybody looks exactly like Adam is basically the bottom line. Okay, so we've sourced it out. So we got Midrash says, we got Rashi, and we got Bereshit Rabbah, and then we got Baba Batra. So we got some Talmud, we got Midrash, we got Rashi. Okay, so when you put this all together, we learn from the Zohar that the face of Yaakov is on the throne of Hashem. Like it's etched on the throne of Hashem. Which means, yes... Adam's face, Yosef's face, Abraham's face, Yitzhak's face is all on the throne of Hashem. And then you got Mashiach Yeshua who comes by, you know, and he's called the second Adam. And he says, if you've seen me, then you've seen the father. Because if you've seen Adam, you've seen Hashem. If you've seen Abraham, you've seen Hashem, which is seeing Adam, seeing Hashem. You know, because it's all reflecting. So if you've seen Yosef, you've seen Yaakov, you've seen Yitzhak, you've seen Abraham, you've seen Adam, you've seen Hashem. I.e., you've seen the image of Hashem, which is Mashiach Yeshua, who is the image of the invisible God. Okay, so dropping that all out. So I don't even know how I got into this, but I was barrel rolling from the whole thing about divine Mashiach. And this whole Shatuf thing. Okay, so the Shatuf is this whole joint picture. So us calling Mashiach Yeshua a manifestation of God, deeming him Mashiach, even though he quote unquote led Christianity and, and all this kind of stuff. So let's talk some essential facts. Mashiach sits at the gates of Rome. Who else was attached? Let's go ahead and get that source. Um... Uh, I know it's a Talmud drop. Let's see here. Legends of the Jews brings it down. Let's go ahead and we'll roll with Legends of the Jews. Okay, so Legends of the Jews says in volume four, chapter seven, section 66. Okay, Mashiach among the crowd of afflicted poor gathered near the city gates of Rome. So the whole thing about Mashiach being a leper at the gates of Rome, Rome is the progenitor of Christianity. And then you have this idea that, you know, Mashiach Yeshua can't be kosher because, you know, he is over here. So like that's Shatuf and we're trying to mix and mingle stuff. So this whole stolen persona that, you know, the world calls him Jesus Christ, you know, and uh, that's offensive because, you know, you're deleting his name. But we learned from Rabbi Griffin, Captain Israel, that that's great. That proves that what Moshe asked for about blotting the name out so that the people may be saved was ultimately fulfilled in Mashiach, whose name 
is being blotted out so that we can be saved. Not just Israel, but the whole entire world, because that's the ultimate goal of Mashiach. So we're going to read about that in a second. So uh, let's see here. I was doing some more Mashiach-Rome connections. Um, let's see. Mashiach, the son of David, will not arrive until Rome shall have had dominion over the entire world. Where in the world is that found at? Goodness. Um, this is a ridiculous source. It's, uh, giving me some, some Hebrew here. Not that that's bad, but, you know, I'm trying to go here. Uh, Sleeka, I apologize for the delay. But such is the thing when you're trying to actually get sources. Okay, it was Ain Yaakov on Yoma. Yoma chapter 1, verse 12. So they're doing this whole thing about talking about the dominion of Rome and Mashiach. So just for a few uh, more points on this, because I don't want to belabor the point. I just wanted to be pointed out that the reason why we harp, pun intended, on so many levels that Mashiach is divine because Mashiach is the Torah and all that goodness and the Torah is divine and all that goodness and the Torah has the same name as Hashem and then we got the fact that the Ruach of Hashem is the word of God and then you know that is totally divine so Mashiach being the manifested spirit word of God you know has to be divine because if Mashiach is a man then, you know, we don't have anything to bring us, you know, uh, out of our state of sin and bondage and uh, the much needed atonement that we're supposed to have. Because as is put so beautifully, a captain of a sinking ship cannot save the people on the ship. But a captain who has his own ship, uh, he can save everybody on the other ship because... He's got extra lifeboats. He can start deploying things. And as the other ship is sinking, the people can board the other ship. And by default, the new ship is completely different from what's before. So you have basically, for lack of a better terms, a paradigm shift of epic proportions literally manifest because we're getting pulled out of the reality of sin death and bondage yes exactly like egypt i know y'all were saying mitzrayim that's what happened in mitzrayim we totally got taken out of there and put into the desert which was surrounded by the we were surrounded by clouds of glory we had all this manna everywhere and like this rock was rolling with us so we we had the original rock and roll music and we like didn't have to worry about anything and this is completely opposite from egypt and might I add, we were immortal unto the golden calf because we said something along the lines of not a saving Ishma, we will do and we will hear. And then all these angels like came down and started clothing us like uh, James Brown when he was doing his dance and people come throw the robe on him. Yeah, we were doing that. We were like, I feel good. Dun, 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 dun. Woo! You know, 
So good. Boom, boom. I got boom, boom, eternal life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Time to go save the world. You know, kind of thing. So anyway, so that all happened. We got crowned with immortality and we were back to the level of Adam in the garden before eating from the tree. So, yes, that all transpired. So the thing is, Mashiach Yeshua was ready to bring that actuality into the world completely when he first got here because he already fulfilled the role of Mashiach ben Yosef through his death and his burial. And as he was resurrected, he was Mashiach ben David because the only way Mashiach ben Yosef is brought back is through Mashiach ben David. Tractate Sukkah 52. You should check it out. It's a pretty legit tractate. Talks about Mashiach ben Yosef and the Yetzahara and that, you know, he who knew no sin became sin and took his took in death so that he could bring life and all this kind of stuff. And so, you know, you can see all these beautiful overlays with that. So, you know, uh, Zippor Aish and I and her husband and Hasis Baz man, we all had a good time studying that. So that was a really cool study. So shouts out to the Brenners. Uh, anyway, so it was just really cool, you know, to really just think back to all these things. The other thing you have to think about, every single redeemer of Yisrael was hidden in obscurity and people did not willingly embrace them. Let me finish my point about Mashiach was willing to bring. Okay, so after he was resurrected, he was Mashiach ben David. People were still rejecting him. He was here for 40 days. And there wasn't this overall uh, absurgence in the Jewish nation because salvation goes to the Jews first. Uh, so the first fruits of redemption here was what we're talking about. There was still, you know, Sadducees overrunning the temple, Sadducees still persecuting all the believers and stoning people inappropriately. Because that's not how you stone people. You don't throw rocks at people to stone people. That's actually improper. So all the accounts that we are reading about people being stoned in the gospel accounts and in the letters, those are not right, which means they're done and carried out by Sadducees. Chasbe Shalom that they're carried out by Pharisees because that would be a direct violation of the knowledge and the uh, Torah that, that, that has been entrusted to them. Because when you read the oral Torah, which, by the way, is the only way you learn how to stone people, you don't learn how to stone people from the written Torah. So there's that. So the people who rejected the written Torah are called, or the people who rejected the oral Torah are called Sadducees, or their Hebrew name, Zedokim. Pharisees is called Perushim. In the Agarit to the Romans podcast that's on my uh, account here, I have a whole thing about the Perushim uh, within like the first few episodes about these are people who were separating themselves from immorality. This was like a, a righteous people. They strived in righteousness. They strive to be in the world, not of it. Like there's a beautiful drop on uh, Perush and how it's all about being distinct you know, making distinctions between pure and impure, clean and unclean, holy and mundane, you know, like, so the originators of the understanding of Havdalah and candle lighting, you know, there's a reason why there's a way to get into Shabbat and a way to get out of Shabbat, because if 
you don't make a distinction for the day of Shabbat. You've just shetoofed. Let's go ahead and use our new word that we learned. You shetoof Shabbat with the rest of the week, which makes it unkosher. Why? Because you did not set it apart from the other day of the week. So even though you were in Shabbat, quote unquote, because you were on the seventh day, you didn't light candles. You went out to spend money. You kindled all kinds of fires because you ticked everybody off because kindling a fire is all about anger. And then you decided, oh, yeah, I'll just have a triple cheeseburger with bacon on it. And then I'll follow that up with surf and turf with some steak and shrimp. And then I'll go ahead and do some immoral things and carry around baseless hatred and spew out all sorts of stuff and telling people don't convert. Yeah. That would be the essence of Shatuf, by the way. Very vile, very gross, very disgusting. So for the accusation to be leveled that one who is a Lapitnik would be a person who believes in something that's Shatuf and by default makes them not kosher, I'm not understanding where that's coming in because if we're people of baseless love, we're people of Lashan Torah, we're people of Ruach HaKodesh, we follow the oral Torah as well as the written Torah, and the love of Mashiach causes us to be further um, further in alacrity, further in fervence and zeal and uh, enthusiasm in our observance. You know, learning sources. Hasis Baz did the beautiful uh, layout for me of, you know, the progression or things that have actually occurred in Judaism. You have the onset of Rashi, who wanted to help people with Talmud and things like that to get into more of the, the insights and the understanding on the basic levels of Torah. Then you have going on from him, you have Rambam who wanted to codify the Mishnah into a simplified form. That's why it's called the Mishneh Torah by Rambam with a Mim. And then you have the onset of Yosef Karo with the Shulchan Aruch. Originally 30 volumes so that you could read 30 days, the whole Shulchan Aruch. And you could do that on a monthly basis. This is not the Kitzer version that is available in English print. This is the, the big, big, huge, massive Godzilla-sized version of Shulchan Aruch that's only in Hebrew today. And so that used to be in a size that was about 30 parts. It was split into 30 parts so that you could literally read the whole Shulchan Aruch over a month. The current practices today, we have like the Daf Yomi, where you can literally read the Talmud in about, you know, three years or six years, depending on your frequency or things like that. Uh, you know, so all these kinds of things have happened throughout uh, the Jewish culture over time. All of this is post-fact that after 70 CE or AD, however you want to call it, current time frame, that the Jewish leaders overall decided to push away this Yeshua Hamashiach person because of persecution, uh, lots of killing that was going on by Rome to these people and by Sadducees, which were Shatuf. Go ahead and throw Shatuf around. Oh my goodness. The Sadducees were Shatuf 
to Rome. They were joined in partnership. They were literally the ones in the bought out positions in the temple. This is why they were ripping the priestly garments when you're not supposed to tear those. This is why pig got sacrificed on the altar that caused the whole breaching of the walls of Jerusalem that we talk about during the 17th of Tammuz. Um, that happened during the Rome time. They sent in a uh, pig over the wall you know, uh, during the standoff time. And that ultimately caused the, the beginning of the final collapse of the destruction of the second temple. And this is in Gatine, uh, Tractate Gatine, around 57. You'll see this uh, terrible argument that falls out between two Yehudim. And then they get Rome involved to try to get back at each other. Like one guy's trying to get back at the other one kind of thing. And so he gets Rome like, yeah, you know, those Jews hate you. And it's like, if you give them an offering, they'll blemish it and stuff. And they won't accept it. So, you know, you need to put down that rebellion. You know, and it's, it's, it's like really crazy. And then you got the fact that... Uh, you know, so the Jewish leaders wanted to get rid of Mashiach and keep the Torah because you can survive off of Torah knowledge. I want to make a clear distinction. You can survive off of Torah knowledge without Mashiach. I believe Rabbi Griffin went into this today on the Aliyah Day. Uh, what are we on this third reading? Uh is actually really crazy because, you know, if you take Mashiach out of Torah, you still have lots of beautiful insights and things like that. But if you don't have that attachment, because you have to have someone who attaches you to Hashem, because Hashem is a consuming fire. This is why you'll also read in sources that how do you cleave to Hashem, who is a consuming fire? It says you shall cleave to a Torah scholar, because that Torah scholar will continue to connect you to Hashem. They will teach you things. You can ask questions. You can learn insights. They can daven for you. They can daven with you. They can teach you how to daven. They can teach you observance. They can teach you halakot and things like that. This is why listening to the Aliyah Day literally is a form of attaching yourself to Hashem, who is a consuming fire. I digress, but you have to have a zodic of some sort and again, there is no true Zodic in the world because all of mankind is shackled in by sin apart from Mashiach Yeshua, who is the only one who's not. OK, and this was the thing before Adam ate from the tree. He was still disconnected from sin and the Atahara. Hava was underneath the curse, but not Adam. Adam, when he ate the fruit was underneath the curse. Yeshua HaMashiach never ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So therefore, just off of, if you want to go Peshat on that level alone, there's that. He didn't eat from that tree, so therefore he didn't even come into the curse. But furthermore, he existed before creation and through him, creation came into being. So there's that because he's outside of what came from him, which was creation. Because Hashem used Reshit to create, the to create, which is why in the beginning, Genesis 1-1 is not the appropriate translation. It is in or with Reshit, which is in or with the firstborn, in or with the Torah, in or with Mashiach, in or with the Son of God, in or with the 
blueprint of Torah, of wisdom that Hashem created the world. And so when you start looking at all that and, you know, there's a whole lot to talk about with that. So let's go ahead and just get into that real quick, because, um, you know, Dr. Sakal and I, we've still been going back and forth on Project Bereshit and it is amazing. And I can't believe all this stuff that's coming out. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Uh, let's see here. For the sake of the Jewish people. Let's see, where is this at? I think this is it. Okay, here we go. So he's dropping Chokli Israel. He says, Bereshit Bara, God created the world for the sake of the Torah, which is called the beginning, Reshit, which is of his way. Mishle 8.22, for the sake of Yisrael. Okay, so it was for the beginning of Hashem's way, like God created the world for that, which is Mishle 8.22, and God created the world for the sake of Yisrael, who is called Reshit, of his produce. See Yermiyahu 2.3. The word Bereshit is expounded to be read, meaning... For the sake of those who are called Reshit, namely Torah and Yisrael, we can now interpret Bereshit bar Elohim et Tashemayim ve'etaaretz as for the purpose of Torah and Yisrael, God created everything. Chokhle Yisrael coming in with the illness, or should I say with the healness. Instead of ill, it's heal, you know. Everybody get healed. For real. Okay, anyway. So, uh, the other thing. Okay, so where I was going about the obscurity is that Moshe and Yosef, by the way, were both in Egypt. And they are to redeem the Jews. But yet, they're concealed. People don't accept them. And people don't recognize them, you know. So Moshe grows up and everybody's like, who are you? You're in the, the house of uh, Pharaoh. You know, you're just an Egyptian. Even when he goes to Yitro's house, you know, his daughters are like, oh, yeah, we got rescued by an Egyptian. Because they showed up from the well <laughs> where Moshe was in Midian. And they showed up early to dinner that night. And Yitro's like, uh, what are y'all doing home so early? They're like, oh, just an Egyptian man. He saved us. So, you know, we, we decided uh, we'd go ahead and come home because, you know, after, you know, people tried to take our water and stuff and mess with the camels and the sheep and stuff. This guy from Egypt, he came in. They keep calling him an Egyptian. He came in. He saved us. He rescued us. He took care of everything. So we got water. We got all our flock and everybody's good, taken care of. And, you know, we're here. So, like, he kind of hastened their redemption on a small scale there. Just looking at, you know, the Redeemer hastens the redemption. You know, when you embrace him, receive him kind of thing. Hence why the whole world, when the whole world understands truly who Mashiach Yeshua is and embraces what he brought, because the whole thing with why we haven't experienced redemption yet, because everyone who claims Mashiach hasn't 
truly manifested out everything that he has taught us. There's been this whole big swerve into, nope, no Jewish stuff. Nope, nothing that the Torah says. Nope, not going to even be Zanut. Nope, not even going to keep the Shabbat. All this kind of stuff has been pushed away with the craziness, you know? And so the more the world truly embraces what Mashiach taught, which means we will become Ben Zekunim, just like Yosef. Remember, Yosef was called Ben Zekunim to Yaakov. Bereshit 37.3, because he manifested and embodied everything that Yaakov taught him. That's what we need to be with Mashiach. That's why we're conformed to, that's why we're predestined to be conformed to his image. Because as it was with Yaakov to Yosef, so it should be with Yeshua HaMashiach to his followers. We should be covered in the dust of his feet, which would mean we're Talmudim. And that's why he said, go make Talmudim of the world. Don't go make believers of the world. Go make Talmudim. One of my sources I was reading was saying, yeah, because even Hasatan believes in Mashiach. And my takeaway from that is, okay, so if this whole thing is about just believe in Yeshua and believe in God. And it's just like, okay, so Hasatan does that. Look at what he's been up to. So what separates us and what keeps us distinguished? Because there's got to be something more than just us believing in him, you know. So anyway, there's all that. So I realize I haven't been able to keep track of if I'm in Bereshit or from in Noach because I'm, yes, I'm both parashas together. So Bereshit and Noach go as officially just literally it's Shatuf. It's mixed. It's together. It's joined. You know, it's funny. This word Shatuf, like who, like what? Shatuf not being kosher because, you know, calling Mashiach divine. Okay, anyway, so because the whole thing about Mashiach being divine is seen as a Christian idea and is seen as, oh, you're Trinitarian because you believe there's another deity besides Hashem. And it's like, don't we say that uh, salvation is Hashem's? Like Yeshua is Hashem's? Like Mashiach is Hashem's? Like, Yeshua, Mashiach belongs to Hashem. Hashem says, I will not share my glory with another. So therefore, if Mashiach has the glory of the Father, he's not another. And we talked about this actually last week in the middle of Sukkot and Simchat Torah and all that, that we have to get to understanding Mashiach is not an independent entity from Hashem. You know, so there's all of that. But anyway... Back to the Redeemer hidden in the exile. So, yeah, no one recognized Yosef. And furthermore, the king, the Pharaoh that arose at the beginning of Exodus, which is the book of Shemot, uh, he didn't know Yosef. You know, he didn't want to pay attention that there was a Yosef guy and he began to kill the Jews. Same thing happened with the with Roman exile. They don't care. They don't know Mashiach is here and all this kind of stuff. They wanted to kill him. You know, much less is even more so as followers. It's like wipe his name out. We don't want it. We don't want that here. We got it. We got our own things to do. Who's ready for some uh, bells and holly and some cookies with some eggnog? And, uh, you know, we're going to just bring that over here. Eggnog is completely kosher and so are cookies. But having them in the spirit of bells and holly is not kosher because that would be Shatouf. <laughs> 
Anyway, I'm just throwing that word around. Boy, I tell you what, just what's wrong? That's why we can't have nice things. Okay, so Moshe, uh, when he is in Egypt, you know, uh, Nadav, or not Nadav, uh, Dathan and Abiram are fighting with each other and causing ruckus. And Moshe's like, hey, what's wrong with you guys? And they're like, don't call us out. You know, you're going to kill us like you did that Egyptian. Yeah, because we told Pharaoh about you. He's coming for you. You better run, boy. You better run. You're going to die, boy. You're going to die. You know, kind of thing. And it's like, so the Redeemer had to flee the exile because he was, or he had to uh, not flee the exile. He had to flee bringing the redemption because Moshe could have gone ahead and, you know, began to walk in his purpose to lead the Jews out. The burning bush experience would have been interesting if he never went to Midian. So it's kind of like, the redemption has to be delayed so that the glory of God can be known or something. Like, I don't know. It's interesting because I find it so amazing. It's been over 2000 years and we still haven't gotten out of exile yet. And God's glory is completely like growing. Uh, at least I can say since, you know, I've been aware of it. I'm pretty sure it's been going on before because how are you going to have people who are completely not Jewish People who knew nothing about Torah, they're like becoming masters of Torah and converting and living Shomer lives, living from, you know, and mastering Hebrew concepts and teachings and language and, you know, looking more Jewish than a person who grew up and was born Jewish, you know, holding it down. Like, don't ask me a question while I'm buying my meat at the kosher counter because, you know, you, you might get hurt, you know, and, and I won't be liable for that. I'll just say you fell in the kitchen, even though the kitchen is on the other side of the counter. I'll say maybe there was a wet spot from the condensation of the window and you kind of slipped and fell. You know, I'm sorry that happened to you, Sleeka. You know, but anyway, y'all know what I'm talking about. Maybe you don't know what I'm talking about. And it's probably good you don't know what I'm talking about because, you know, violence is not the key. But grabbing a hold of the kingdom by force is... Don't let nobody take the kingdom from you because they didn't bring you to the kingdom. Hashem did. Okay, so don't forget that. That's why I'm spending this whole time talking about this. So uh, anyway, let's go on to Babylon because Daniel, Mishael, Hananiah, and Azariah, those four gentlemen were also uh, in that exile. And, you know, they had to endure 70 years. So this whole idea that if your Yeshua guy is the Mashiach, then why are we still in exile 2000 years later? It's like, OK, so Daniel, Daniel and then the three Hebrew boys commonly known as Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. But it's Azariah. Shouts out to Aquaman, uh, Hananiah and Mishael which, by the way, are all descendants of David. So here's your Mashiach, your three in one, if you will, uh, group of people. And you attach Daniel to that. And so you're looking at here is the redemption at hand. 70 years into exile, like you got these people who are staying free from the Klippa of Babylon. And yet everybody's still in exile. It's not taught, though what was going on with the assimilation and it's currently not taught though what's going on with the assimilation today because who's selling out today who's having hanukkah bushes who's 
totally fine with, you know, uh, you know, it's just a little not Zanute, you know, my outfit, you know, uh, it's just, you know, I can go eat this meal over here. I mean, it's not a kosher restaurant, you know, but you know, I'm just going to go and, and do my thing. And this is like, you know, I'm talking the restaurant I'm talking about the compromised restaurant. I'm talking about like the pork slab greased, like they grease the table, they grease the seat, they grease the, the handle when you open the door. The uh, the diffuser is pork or shellfish. I'm talking that kind of place. It's just like, it ain't even kosher to breathe in there kind of place. I'm not talking about a vegan restaurant or vegetarian place or something like that. I'm talking about like, you know, going into this whole barbecue place, Texas style, you know, going in there ain't gonna you ain't going to be able to eat that, <laughs> you know? So it's just kind of like, okay. And I'm talking about like hole in the wall barbecue, not like these major chain type places that kind of keep themselves clean. But anyway, digressing. <laughs> so there's a lot of selling out that's going on. There's a lot of forgetting sources going on, you know? So what's up with that? You know, nobody's talking about that. Why are we not talking about it? We need to talk about that. Don't tell me I'm Shatouf if I'm a Lapidnik and I'm holding fast to Torah True Judaism, which, by the way, you need to know Torah True Judaism is another way to say Orthodox. Thank you, Rabbi Griffin, from the, um, what was, he was reading the Encyclopedia Judaica, because that's what he does, like a, like a crazy person. It's like, ah, I think I'll do some leisure reading. Let me pick up the Encyclopedia Judaica. So it's like, okay, why don't we look up Rabbi, shall we? No, I'm just kidding. Um, by the way, Bezrat Hashem, if I get the opportunity, we do have a Call No Man Rabbi video in the works. Uh, and I apparently have been uh, the designated person to do that. Uh, unless, you know, Rabbi Griffin's going to have some other plans uh, that will be coming. So... Uh, with the help of Hashem, look out for that on the Lapid Judaism channel. You'll see my pretty radio face. I always thought I had a beautiful face for radio, so why not put it on a video? Anyway, digressing even more. Let's go into Persia, shall we? Because Mordecai and Esther, goodness, Esther had to change her name. What about that? You know, Mashiach's name got changed. Oh, wow. Because Esther's totally called a Mashiach ben Yosef. Read the Midrash on that. Midrash Rabbi Esther. You got uh, Ma'am Loez on that. You got, you know, all sorts of stuff you can read and start to pick up on this stuff about Esther being Mashiach ben Yosef and connecting that to Psalm 22. Anyway, so there's that. And then you got the fact that in Rome... Mashiach, who's at the gates of Rome with the lepers, which means he's outside the camp because lepers, people aren't allowed inside the camp, uh, city, inside the city precincts, which means Yeshua's not in the headquarters of Rome, which means he's not sitting on a throne at Vatican City. Somebody else is. But anyway, uh, so yeah, he's at the gate, which is the same place that Lot was when he was in Sodom and you know, and Gomorrah. 
So while he was there, he was at the gate, which is where all the rulings take place, by the way. And so, you know, Noah was called or Slika Lot was called exotic, even though he was in such a horrible place. So, yeah, we got all, we got precedents everywhere when you start connecting all these dots. And it's just like, I don't get it. And it's like, why would you want to align yourself to such a Klippa, putting yourself with this Yeshua guy? It's just like, that's wrong. That's bad. That's not kosher. That's trafe. You're not really a Jew. I mean, that's implied, insinuated, and heavily inferred uh, from all the other comments. Furthermore, a person who is wanting to grow in Torah and attach themselves to, you know, Hashem, there has not been a more kosher and a more turned up, get you some, I can't believe it, um, entity as the Torah itself made manifest, Mashiach Yeshua. You can name all the Zadokim in the world throughout the ages. None of them even touch the level that Mashiach fulfilled in just one year, much less a few seconds. Because Mashiach is before creation, which means he's outside of creation. Let's just go with that. Uh, all of us are technically before creation because, you know, our souls were in Mashiach. And so, you know, the throne of Hashem is where our souls were. And then, you know, when God created, he made Gani Den and all that. And then our souls were in the garden. And then, you know, we came forth from there to be born and conceived. So, yeah, I guess we can make a, a case for that. Side note, Rishites, Jews and Mashiach are called the same thing, making them Echad. So, you know, when it talks about Yisrael, it talks about, is it Israel or is it Mashiach? The answer is yes, because Mashiach is called a body of many members. So there's that. But anyway, we totally digress so much. It's hard not to when you just have everything in your face like a microwave. Uh, it's so funny because I always say, yeah, in your grill like a microwave. And it's funny because how many of you don't raise your hand when you microwave something? you look at it and sometimes you try to like get as close to the microwave as possible just to like, is it cooking? And it's just like the microwave is working. Uh, it's doing its thing. You don't have to stare at it to make it work better, <laughs> you know, kind of thing. So yeah. And your grill, like a microwave is actually a kosher phrase. Get you some of that anyway. Uh, so yeah, so all of those precedents I just wanted to bring out, um, Bezrat Hashem, I touched on everything uh, as far as what we heard, you know, because uh, we have to know what we're doing as the peed and, and why we are having to take on such a weight and such a mantle and like peacefully fight and grab a hold of the kingdom by force is because it's completely like a world full of people trying to knock this out of your hands. It's like, I don't want you in no keep. I don't want you in no ZZ. I don't want you in no Tekla. I don't want you repping to feeling. I don't want you celebrating Hanukkah. I don't want you celebrating Sukkot. I don't want you celebrating Purim. And I don't want you celebrating Pesach. I don't want you keeping the Shabbat. Why don't you come over here and work? It's just like the world is full of that. And the only way to make it through and endure is to fight back. Roundhouse kick, bite somebody's elbow. Don't literally bite somebody's elbow. 
But I mean, you know what I'm saying? Anyway, this is all figurative speeches. Don't go out gouging people in the eye or, you know, punching people in the throat. But spiritually, that's what you're going to have to do. Don't let nobody come at you. Okay. Um, you know, call a Avenger if you need one. We got sources for days. Trust me. And, you know, this whole thing, don't try to use sources to justify your Im improper belief. Don't give me that. First of all, like, okay, if we don't have sources, we don't have anything. I'll just leave it at that. Okay, so the 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 main progenitors of the Bible that teach that, you know, is is commonly Christianity, even though obviously rabbis and stuff teach the Bible. But the predominant um, widely broadcasted, I should say, especially on public TV, people that are Bible toters or Bible thumpers and Bible smackers and Bible stackers, uh, you know, the, they're the ones who don't have sources. You know, there's, let's just hear what MacArthur has to say. Let's, you know, let's get into the King James or, you know, let's look at, um, this commentary from Chrysostom or let's look at John Gill, you know, and all this kind of stuff. And it's like, those aren't sources. <laughs> those are, uh, comments that have, been brought into publishing off base of keeping Shabbat, like candle lighting, keeping Shabbat, like not working and stuff, you know, kosher, keeping Shabbat, Shomer Shabbat, let's put it that way. And people who study the Torah portion, because these same commentaries justify getting rid of Kashrut and Shabbat and all the Yom Tov. Let's have Xmas. Let's have Valentine's Day. Let's have, you know, Schmeister. Let's have anything but the festivals God commanded us to have as people who are his children. We got a whole lot of stuff on both sides of the fence and we have to hold down the middle ground. OK, Christianity teaches so beautifully the proper Mashiach that you have to have him. You have to believe in him and trust in him. And, you know, you have to abide in him. Okay. They do great with that. But when it, when the rubber meets the road, that's where it gets a little cray. And on the other hand, today's Judaism that says Mashiach is not divine and all that kind of stuff. They do a great job with pointing us back to Talmud, pointing us to, Halakha pointing us in the Midrash and giving some of the most out of this world, never heard before insights and commentaries, <laughs> but never shall the two worlds intermingle and connect. And that's where the middle ground comes in to where, how do you keep your faith in Mashiach Yeshua, but yet get all the insights and the illumination and the knowledge that is available in Torah, which we're supposed to study. That's the way that we abide in Hashem is by studying the Torah. I'm glad you asked. It's called Teshuva. It's called Lapid. It's called Torah Judaism centered in Mashiach Yeshua. That's the only thing we, we have right now until the final redemption this, unless Hashem is developing more stuff that we haven't seen yet, uh, which that would be really cool to see some more stuff. 
Um, yeah, so that's what we got. So, you know, we'll keep it. We have to keep it going. We have to hold down the middle road. So what does that look like? That looks like either a Christian or a Jew will come at you or anybody else uh, for that fact that doesn't want you, you know, holding to Yeshua and holding to the mitzvot. So, you know, that's really what we're looking at. And in order for you to maintain and hold that standard, you know, because we talk about, you know, Noah was exotic in his generation. The whole world was falling apart around him, but yet he was able to preserve himself and his household and build an ark. Okay, so yeah, we do that, but the comments go on to say he didn't go out and, and make converts like Abraham did. And that's kind of where we're putting together Noah and Abraham as Lapid. And uh, when you put Noah and Abraham together, you have a beautiful picture of this Mashiach ben Yosef, Mashiach ben David kind of figure, you know, wrapped up because. You know, you have the fact that Noah is the one who's going to bring us rest. And then you have the fact that, you know, Abraham established that rest in the world. And so you have the beginning of a mission and then you have a uh, another beginning of the mission that ultimately will be completed through Abraham's descendant, which is Mashiach. And so just looking at the, you know, this beautiful picture of not only do we build an ark for ourselves, but we go out and we live life in a way that is attractive to people, not because we're trying to manipulate anything, but we're truly happy. We're truly at Shalom. We are embracing the Torah of Hashem and we are being expressions of Mashiach Yeshua in the world. Because the whole thing about Mashiach Yeshua is that he is the hands and the feet of the Torah. Just like we learn about Simchat Torah, the Torah wants to dance. The Torah wants to be embraced by the world, but it doesn't have any feet. And so Mashiach, so Hashem was like, you know what? It's time. Second Adam, Mashiach, take your place in the world. You know, and so the Torah walks and gets embraced and, you know, and a lot of rejection. But, you know, there's that. So here we are not being insular, being out in the world, torching it up. And, uh, you know, though things are hard and things are challenging, we're pressing forward and we'll keep studying. We'll keep learning. That's, that's what we have to do. And, uh, the most beautiful thing that I took away from the Aliyah day today from Rabbi Griffin, Captain Israel, that, you know, we're going to be judged by smell. You know, I, it's like, yes, okay, that's been brought up before, but really, we're going to be judged by smell. Like, when we're all standing before Hashem, it's not per se, in a nutshell, per se, because, I mean, it's going to be a whole lot of stuff. But the main thing is, how do you smell? Like, you could have lived like you believed in God and trusted him with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength and said the prayer and immersed yourself in a mikvah, you know, and all this kind of stuff. Got circumcised and ate kosher and kept Shabbat or, you know, you read your Bible and you did the best you could. You were kind to the poor people and, you know, you fed the hungry and clothed the homeless and all this kind of stuff. But what do you smell like? 
man. And the the uh, the perfume, the aroma, the perfect smell is teshuva. At the end of the day, I told this to Professor Bill. I said, when you really think about it, can you admit to your wrong? Can you break your own will for the sake of preserving Hashem's will? Can you do that? Can you know that when you've messed up so horribly that when you're confronted with that, that you go, wow, ah, I hate that that happened. I, I'm wrong. I, I rightfully get the consequences that I get. You know, I really wish I didn't have to have these consequences. And I really wish this never would have happened. But Baruch Diana met like blessed is the true judge. Like that's where we have to be. That's what we're fighting for. So through all of our observance, through all of our learning, through all of our studying, we are getting down to the essence of what do we smell like? Because we could serve a shem all day, but if we stink, oh my gosh. So Shuva Heroes is like the perfect play. I've been just kind of like, Hashem, you are so ridiculous, man. Because I'm thinking, yeah, we're serving Hashem with our imagination. But it's like, what's your imagination based off of? Teshuva. And he's like, yep. And you're like, you meant to do that, didn't you? And it's like, yep. Because that's the essence of your faith. It's Teshuva. How often... Are you going to mess up? <laughs> you know, not because you want to, you know, there's things that you do on accident. There's things that you just outright rebel and do, which that's crazy. But oh my goodness, you aren't here to be like a bubble boy, like in this perfect cocoon of righteousness and holiness. You're here to interact and engage with the world. Descend to ascend, you know, get out there, work go through, you know, circumstances, trials that test you, things that tempt you. Bezrat Hashem, you resist them, you overcome, and you uh, you step up to the plate, you learn from mistakes. Because when you embody that, you're embodying the fullness of the manifestation of, of Teshuva, which is Mashiach. Mashiach is the tool of Teshuva. That, that point in which there's the rectification, there's the return, there's the the forsaking of sin and disobedience and death. Like, that's it. You know, and so that's what we do. We're supposed to mature and we're supposed to grow. So, Brukashem. So anyway, hopefully that was helpful. You know, that just was like weighing heavily on my heart because hearing, you know, someone who would call themselves, you know, a Jew and 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 uh, be like a person who's supposed to be light to the world. Like, what kind of light is that? Like, you're just, you know, okay. I I understand we have disagreements on the persona of Mashiach, but I'm trying to walk Torah here, and it's just like, well, I'm I from my perspective, I see you trying to walk Torah, but you're doing this thing that's horrible. So I. You, you're not walking Torah because you're doing that. 
And it's just like, but do you know what I'm doing? I mean, that's really is the question that, you know, is left unanswered from the information that I just shared with everybody. So anyway, not that we need to hold our breath and wait for that information, but the best Torah proof is lived. What what does your life look like? And again, what do you smell like? Are you baseless love? Are you Lashon Torah? Are you Shomer Shabbos? Do you love Hashem to the point of my will does not matter, only his? Because I can guarantee you there's a lot of things that I want to do that I'm forsaking for the sake of Hashem. Please help me be like the best student and child and follower of you that I could possibly be. You know, Mashiach says you cannot follow me unless you first deny yourselves. And I'm like, ooh. Okay, there's a lot of stuff that I want, you know, um, food wise, you know, material wise and, and all sorts of stuff, occupation wise. But it's just like, but at what point does a shim get to say so in everything that you do? Because you got to focus in on those points and, and go from there. Quick to make Teshuva, you belong to Yeshua. Okay, uh, we're talking about following the king and I ain't talking King Cooper. But I'm talking be like Mario and grow super duper, eating the mushrooms and going crazy, torture racking like Lex Luker. I don't know. I just tried to freestyle horribly. But anyway, uh, yeah. So... Exhale, 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 and more exhale. Okay, so I want to go ahead and I want to begin with this just in case I, I leave it off and I don't intend to. So uh, there's a Days of Noach drop that is all about Mashiach. Surprise! If I find my Bible here. Oh, there it is. All right. Yeah. Matthew 24. Okay. So we're going to go to Matthew 24 because since it's Parsha Noach, Matthew 24 has a beautiful thing here. We're going to start in verse 37. Just get quick to the point. For just as the days of Noach were, so will be the coming of the son of man. For in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day Noah entered the ark. And they did not understand until the flood came and swept them all away. So it shall be at the coming of the son of man. So the days of Noah is the setting for the return of Mashiach Yeshua. So there's that. And then we're in Parsha Noach and we're learning what that was like. It was literally to the point where only certain animals and just this one family were allowed to be preserved from the flood waters of judgment. So that's kind of like, wow. 
Second thing is I want to go over here to uh, Benny B because he has a beautiful uh, drop here about our mission until the final redemption happens that I absolutely am like completely just wow, dude, you're crazy. He's going to bring down uh, some Breslev. Uh, from Rabbi Yitzhak Breiter on the seven pillars of faith. The seventh pillar of faith is the Zodic. Okay, so that's ridiculous because that's Mashiach. By the way, you should know that the Zodic is likened to a vine because the vine gives you all the nourishment and everything from the root of the tree. So when Mashiach says, I'm the true vine, he's actually saying, I'm the true Zodic. Uh, there was a beautiful drop here about uh, one man's repentance can save the whole world. Let me see if I can find that real quick. I will get back to Benny B. But let me get this. This drop is like one of my most favorite. Um Let's see, this is cited by G. Shekel, and he's dropping a Talmud drop here. Uh, check this out. First of all, Bereshit 1-2, and the Spirit of God hovered over the water. This alludes to the spirit of Mashiach, as you read, and the spirit of Adonai shall rest upon him, Yeshayahu 11-2. In the merit of what will this spirit eventually come? Because remember, there's a spirit that goes out over the waters that caused them to recede. So that causes judgment waters to be taken away and then to bring in newness of life and all that. So going back to Bereshit, though, it says in, in the merit of what will this spirit eventually come for the sake of that which hovered over the face of the waters, i.e. in the merit of repentance, which is likened to water. Repentance is like into water as it is written, pour out your heart like water from Lamentations, which is Aka. I know you did not just. <laughs> Aka. Sleeka. A little. Aka 2.19. Citing the Midrash Rabbah on Bereshit 2.4. So uh, there is a video uh, actually on a TED talk of all things. I totally just got introduced. Well, I didn't get just get introduced, but I got to watch like my full first TED talk video. Amazing. Uh, it was called. Man, I'm just all over the place. What is wrong with me, man? What is wrong, 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 wrong? Uh, it is called. Math is the hidden secret to understanding the world. Obviously, a gematria drop of epic proportions. But anyway, I digress. So in that video, this guy at the very end, he says, I guess in short of what I'm trying to say is have a heart like or have a have a brain, have a mind like water. And if you connect that with this, in other words, the best way to live your life is in the water is in repentance in pouring out your heart like water, in repentance, in Mashiach, 
because remember the spirit that hovered over the water is it says for the sake of that which hovered over the waters i.e in the merit of repentance so in other words repentance the spirit of mashiach is what hovered over the water and it says that the spirit of god like it says so what will cause the spirit of god to come and flow over the whole entire world repentance mashiach basically that's what i wanted to get at um oh the one man's repentance wow i'm gonna get this i'm gonna get this source even if it takes me two minutes all right so uh that's the other thing if you haven't noticed when you're looking for something you start to find other stuff so yes that that was totally a picture of that uh, happening right before your very ears. Okay. I know it's in here. Yeah, here we go. Yoma 86B. This is going to be cited by the pre-Zotic Shlach Lecha 12. The rectification. Uh, let's go back a little bit. Because what rectification? It says there's a concept that ultimately this level of atonement comes via the Mashiach. What level of atonement? Okay, we we'll just keep backtracking. The benefit of associating with the Zodic extends past death to the extent of extracting the person from Gehenna. Yeah, this is why the whole people were like, if you die today, are you going to go to Gehenna? Because you better believe in Yeshua. Just like, okay, it means a little bit more than just believe. Because remember, Hasatan believes in Yeshua and he's still in Gehenna. Or, well, he'll be ultimately there kind of thing. But anyway. We'll move on. Reb Nosan writes, What is the meaning of the verse? Tehillim 16.10 You will not abandon me to the abyss, i.e. Gehenna. For you will not allow your chassid to see the pit, which is Gehenna. If one is a pious chassid, how do you be pious? Teshuvah. Shuvah heroes, anyone? Quick to make Teshuvah, you belong to Yeshua? I digress. Why should he descend to Gehenna? If one is a pious chassid, why should he descend to Gehenna? And if both parts of the verse refer to the same person, why the redundancy? I love it. Reb Nelson answers, someone who is attached to the true Zodic, the true vine, Slika, says, will not stay in Gehenna. If he must suffer punishment, it will not last forever, for the Zodic will take him out. This is why Yeshua, by the way, in Kepha's writings, he descended to Sheol to preach freedom to those who were captive because he was literally pulling people out of Gehenna. This all happened during the night of Pesach, which is the same night we're actually supposed to uh, preach to the wicked son and Bezrat Hashem pulled them out of Gehenna and caused them to truly make the exodus with everybody. Anyway, so... He goes on to say, if he must suffer punishment, it will not last forever. The Zodic will take him out. Why? Because you, God, will not allow your Hasid, the Zodic, to suffer Gehenna. Since I am attached to the Zodic, the Zodic must come to take me out. He cannot remain, for you do not wish to you do not wish him to see Gehenna. Thus my attachment to the Zodic is my afterlife insurance policy against Gehenna. Lakute Halakot. Uh Hashkamat Haboker 4 4. 
This is from Crossing the Narrow Bridge from Chaim Kramer, page 342 through 343. Moving to the pre-Zotic drop, it says this rectification will be by Mashiach ben David, who will raise the yoke of Teshuva, as was said in Moet Katan 16b, and Mashiach will be the only one who through his Teshuva, the entire world is forgiven. As it was said in Yoma 86b, that is, he will cause all of Israel to have thoughts of repentance. Okay, Yeshua totally said in Matthew 4:17, from that time on, Yeshua began to, re- to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Back to Benny B. Goodness. That was a barrel roll of epic proportions. I just imagine like Iron Man in a suit, just like twisting, 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 twisting to the point he gets like dizzy and just falls out of the sky. It's just like, that's what happens when you barrel roll too much. Okay. Anyway, so that seventh pillar from Rav Yitzhak Brater, uh, the seven pillars of faith. This is coming from Breslev writings. It says the soul of Mashiach preceded the world. There's that. So, you know, a soul gets put into a body and all that kind of stuff. But the soul that's put into this particular body is a soul that preceded the world. So, again, another Mashiach divine drop. But that's probably just beating on a dead wall, beating a dead horse. So, whatever, I guess. Okay, so it says it is the root Mashiach, the soul. Okay, the soul of Mashiach that preceded the world says... It is the root of the souls of Israel in the entire creation for the entire, literally, goodness. Because you, you wonder why Mashiach says, go out into all the nations, go out into all the world, teach the nations. Why? Because my soul, which preceded the world, is the root of the souls of Israel and the entire creation. Goodness. Anyway. Continuing with the source for the entire universe was only created to attend him. Ah, the world was created for the sake of attending to the Torah, which meant that we're supposed to attend to Mashiach. Hence why the original idea was to be co-heirs with Mashiach, which is why Hashem was like, I got Hashemayim, Adam, you got Haaretz. Let's rule this thing together. Because the heavens and the earth are one. Because there's no sin in the world. Anyway, because your face is on the throne, so that means you're here. Your image is next to me. It's with me. And, like, you're down there. So when I look down there, I see you. And then when I'm here, I see you. So, like, you're here. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, for the entire universe was only created to attend him. Barricode 6b and the Zodic is the foundation of the world. Proverbs 10:25. The Holy One, blessed be he, took counsel with this soul in the creation of his universe, as it is written. With whom did he take counsel? Who gave him understanding and guided him in the way of judgment? Yeshayahu 40, verse 14. He gave God a guarantee that he will repair the universe. Okay, so that connects back to what G. Shekel brought down from the pre-Zotic. Okay, so here's what Benny B. takes away from all of that. He says, 
the Mashiach will repair the universe. However, Yeshua taught us that his return is not, everybody say not, not, an excuse for us to reject, say reject, the responsibility that our creator has endowed and tasked us with. What is that responsibility? I'm glad you asked. The reparation of the world. This is what's called tikkun olam. This is why one of the many ways to do that is to be shuva heroes. There are so many different ways to do it. Most of it is being people who are just really making teshuva and living lives that reflect that. Build up your home, build up your community, save the entire world. That's how you do it. Okay? This is why we're supposed to have lots of children's, and this is why we're supposed to, uh, you know, have yeshivas, and this is why we're supposed to listen to the Aliyah Day. Just kidding. But yeah, I mean, not really. I guess half kidding. Mostly kidding. Okay, listen to the Aliyah Day. Anyway, uh, study some Torah. Study the Torah and live it out. Anyway, tikkun olam. That's our responsibility. It says we are to be his extensions, his emissaries, his representatives in its repair, becoming active agents in the redemption. So what's so absolutely crazy about this, this totally is the true meaning of this from the distinguished gentleman known as Shaul Hashliach. This is from one of his letters to Corinth in chapter 5, commonly called 2 Corinthians. So his second letter, even though it really wasn't his second letter, but again, lots of digressing. So many insights. I just, I have to digress. I'm going to be digress king, okay? Call me DK. All right. So anyway, uh, in 2 Corinthians 5, starting at verse 20, we are therefore ambassadors for Mashiach. We therefore are tenders, helpers, extensions. I think Benny B just said this. <laughs> okay. It says we are therefore ambassadors for Mashiach as though God were making his appeal through us. It don't get any more shatuf than that. Okay. Like we're joint with Hashem to the point where if we're reconciling people to Torah and we are, it's as if Hashem is making people reconcile to Torah. This is the importance of the light that Hashem has put in you because it's that very light that it came from Hashem. Your soul came from Hashem. Your mission came from Hashem. Your name came from Hashem. Therefore, everything that you do is that one particular aspect of Hashem that only you can do to repair the world, to reconcile someone to Hashem. And it's because of your light that goes out and shines that people can see it who are meant to see just that particular point and come to Hashem. That's why you don't have to worry about your particular target audience because Hashem, when he shines your light, those people who are supposed to see that light are going to come to it and they're going to end up being reconciled to Hashem. And that ray of light that you shine is also going to repair the world because that's how the world was created in the first place from a ray of light. This is called Kav. Okay. Anyway. So it says, continuing, we beg you on behalf of Mashiach, 
be reconciled to God. In other words, we beg you on the behalf of Teshuvah, whose name is Yeshua, to make Teshuvah. Because when you're reconciled to God, that's Teshuvah. So in other words, everybody need to be taking showers. Everybody be need to get clothed. Funny thing, Legends of the Jews brings down that the the manna and the water from the well of Miriam, which was Yeshua, by the way, because both the manna was the bread of heaven, which Yeshua says, I'm the bread of heaven. He totally says that in Yochanan. And then, you know, the water uh, from the well, which the well itself, the rock of our salvation, another Corinthians chapter 10 drop that that rock is Mashiach, that whole thing. Uh, it says between these two things that the, uh, the whole encampment of the Jews had aroma for days to where they did not need any kind of perfume. So, you know what? That was such a beautiful thing that I'm going to see if I can find that real quick. Um, got to get my book over here. Get some legends. It's legendary. Okay. Um, I was going to talk about the union of the commandments because there's this whole thing about stealing or robbing and like how that connects to, you know, um, dishonoring your mother and your father, not keeping the Shabbat and all this kind of stuff. Like if you break any of the 10 commandments, you break all of them and everything else. And so like, there's a whole web of how they're weaved together. The reason I bring that up is because as I opened up my legends of the Jews, it was like, Hey, you want to talk about the unity of the 10 commandments? I'm like, yeah, I was going to, but I don't want to now. I want to talk about something else. <laughs> so anyway, just so you know, because Hashem was like, man, mankind is full of robbery. I'm wiping them out. It's just like, well, because they don't they don't care about Hashem. They don't care about Shabbat. They don't care about idolatry. They don't care about bearing false witness. They don't care about uh, coveting. They don't care about any of this stuff. So therefore, they have rejected the Torah. Those who reject the Torah have no purpose. This is why people who commit suicide and people who uh, just, you know, walk around aimlessly in life and uh, on very destructive paths because they have disconnected themselves from purpose, which you only find in Torah. Anyway, so let's see here. Hmm. Looking at the will of Miriam. Let's see. Okay, so this well was in the shape of a sieve like rock, uh, out of which water gushes forth as from a spout, kind of like, you know, the blood and water that came outside of Yeshua. It followed them on all their wanderings, uphill and downhill. <laughs> Just funny. I was like, it followed them uphill both ways. You know, it's just like that would have been cool. But anyway, uh, it's interesting too because the clouds of glory leveled out the path. But anyway, it says wherever they halted, it halted too. And you know, Yeshua says, "I'm with you always." And you know, here's the rock, which is Yeshua, literally being with us always. And it says, and it settled opposite the tabernacle. And it says, thereupon. Okay, because when the rock 
is next to the tabernacle it's a mirror reflection because when you're in the rock in the cleft of the rock you're like likened to being in the tabernacle because both of these uh, these manifestations are hashem you know so if you want to see hashem look at the temple if you want to see hashem look at the rock of our salvation anyway both of them bring forth living water that's another story one of them looks a little bit more like fire, but you know, fire, water. Oh, say shalom, beam Ramah, who say shalom, Malenu, because uh, he who makes peace in his heights, he can cause fire and water to actually not uh, conflict with one another. So, therefore, fire and water can actually be uh, one, which is really what the Torah is, because the Torah is likened to water. The Torah is also likened to fire. We talked about that last week as well, about the black fire and the white fire for Parshavazoha Baraka. But anyway, says. Therefore, or thereupon, the leaders of the 12 tribes would appear. It almost makes it seem like they just like teleported over there or something, which, you know, could have happened. You know, if you think about how the encampments were laid out to get all 12 of the tribe leaders to come to the place where the rock stopped, you know, to come to the rock stop, the pit stop. <laughs> it's just like, OK, that's a long walk. And we're inside the clouds of glory. Everything else is supernatural. Why don't we just fly over? Why don't we just teleport over? Why don't we just do a Doctor Strange where we open up a little circle and then appear next to the rock? I don't know. Anyway, this is me using my imagination to show Rashim. All right. So thereupon, the leaders of the 12 tribes would appear, each with his staff, and chant these words. Spring up, O well. Sing unto it. Nobles of the people digged it by the direction of the lawgiver with their staves. They would sing a little song. I would be like, And ask Hashem, may I have some water, please? You know, kind of thing. Anyway, uh, but there's more spiritual songs, apparently, that you can sing and get water from the rock. Don't yell at the rock. Speak to the rock, which sounds like singing. Don't strike the rock. Let's learn from our mistakes, right? Okay, then the water would gush forth from the depths of the well and shoot up as high as pillars, then discharge itself into great streams that were navigatable. And on these rivers, the Jews sailed to the ocean and hauled all the treasures of the world therefrom. The different parts of the camp were separated by these rivers so that women visiting each other were obligated to make use of ships. Hold up. We got yachts inside the clouds of glory. Good night. Anyway, uh, and they were obligated to make use of this. Then the water discharged itself beyond the encampment where it surrounded a great plain, which grew every conceivable kind of plant and tree, kind of like Ghani then. And these trees, owing to the miraculous water, daily bore fresh fruits, just like the tree at the end of Revelation. It's going to bear fruit every month. And, you know, the leaves are going to heal the nations that happened right here in the wilderness. And it all came from the rock. So there's that. It says this well brought fragrant herbs with it so that the women had no need of perfumes on the march because we're walking through the desert and it gets a little hot. But it's like, well, we got climate control. We got the whole echo nest thing going on. So really, I guess we're not going to get hot. But in case we wanted to talk about it, if in case in case anybody got a little perforated, 
uh, what do we call that? Yeah, perforated. I'm, uh, I'm glistening. You know, I'm, sw I'm not sweating, but I'm just kind of, you know, perforating a little bit. It's like, okay, that's fine. Here, here's a little, here's a little piece of cloud. You know, wipe off the, wipe off your perforation there. And it says this. So the herbs that came with this water is perfume. And it says the herbs they gathered serve this purpose. This well furthermore threw down soft, fragrant kinds of grass that served as pleasant couches for the poor who had no pillows or bedclothes. Upon the entrance to the Holy Land, this was well or this well disappeared and was hidden in a certain spot in the Sea of Tiberias. Yes, that's the Sea of Galilee, standing upon Mount or standing up on Carmel and looking over the sea, one can notice there's a sieve-like rock that is the well of Miriam. Once upon a time it happened that a leper bathed at this place of the Sea of Tiberias, the Sea of Galilee, and hardly had he come into contact with the waters of Miriam well when it was instantly healed. Again, Mashiach Yeshua is the only Mashiach person that has ever healed people of leprosy. Put that in your pipe and smoke it. Okay, let's see if I can find this thing on the mana. It's funny, one of the titles is The Awful Desert. <laughs> Alright, so here we go. Here it's like the bread which Israel had taken along is all legends of the Jews. Taken along out of Mitzrayim sufficed for 31 days. Oh, uh, you got a month's worth of bread. You're good. You carried this out with the quickness. And it says, and when they had consumed it, the whole congregation of the children of Israel murmured against their leader, Moshe. It was not only immediate want that oppressed them, but the despair of a food supply for the future. It's like, yeah, I'm a little hungry now, but, you know, this is my last day of bread. It's the 31st day. Oh, what are we going to do? Hashem, we're out here with you. You took us out of our homes. You took us away from everything we knew. We don't even have Wi-Fi out here. Hashem's like, what you need? I got you. This is one of the coolest things I'm looking forward to. Not not for the sake of material pleasure and lust, but man, like when I don't need my cell phone to communicate and when I don't need, you know, a car to drive, like I'm looking forward to just flying around instantaneously communicating and like being able to study Torah books, you know, without having to carry around a huge library. It's just going to be like, you know, I'm with Hashem and it's like, it's right there, you know, manifest this stuff up in the air in front of me. You know, uh, what I think of, cause I'm using my imagination again to serve Hashem thinking of in the, the movie where Dr. Strange is trying to get Thor and Loki to go see their dad before he passes away and the Ragnarok movie. And Dr. Strange is like standing there and doing all this stuff with his hands. And you see all this magic stuff going on. And he's like a book is there and then there's a stuff and then he opens up the portal. It's like all that kind of stuff. So like something kind of uh, transpires basically. And like you have what you need. It's like, man, uh, I was really needing my Or Hakim and I forgot it. And it's just like ask Hashem. Hashem. Could you, you know, pass me my Or Hakim? And it's like, here you go. Because I know you want to study and I know you're not trying to show off. Cool. Because, you know, it's not tricking if you got it, apparently, is, is a saying. But I don't know what that means. Um, 
where it's not about magic tricks is what I'm saying. What Hashem has for us, when we truly rely and depend upon him, it's better than anything this world has to offer. This is why Yeshua says, my peace I give you, not as the world gives. Because the world can't give you the peace that I can give you. The world can take it away from you, though, if you let them. Did I say be violent and take the kingdom by force? Because if I haven't said that, then I'd be completely and totally remiss. As Shomer, man, everybody better suit up, source up, and get you some. All right, quick to make the shuva, you belong to Yeshua. All right, anyway, so the children of Israel doing all this stuff, and they're like, oh, what about our future food supply? We migrated expecting freedom, and now we're not even free from the cares of subsistence. We are not, as our leader promised, the happiest, but in truth, the most unfortunate of men. Boy, don't it seem like that sometimes with Lapid. You're just like, man, I, I'm supposed to be on top of the world. I got sources for days. I got Mashiach. I got Judaism. I got my mama's Judaism that she should have had, and then I'm going to give it to her, even though she don't know that she's supposed to have it. You know, and you're like, man, I'm turned up. And it's just like, and your car breaks down. And you're like, ah. And you look at your bank account and you're like, ah. And you realize what books you don't have. And you're like, ah, I don't know about this. And it's just like, whoa, 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 whoa. Stop what you're doing. Return to Yeshua and start from there. <laughs> okay. Anyway, so that was for Luke Oak Cage. Um, because him and I, we have a little history on that phrase. Anyway, so after our leader's words had keyed us to the highest pitch of expectation, filled out ears with vain hopes. He tortures us with famine and does not provide even the necessary food. With the name of a new settlement, he has deceived this great multitude after he has succeeded in leading us from a well-known and inhabited land. He now plans to send us to the underworld, the last road of life. Would to God we had died by the hand of the Lord during the three days of darkness in the land of Egypt when we sat by the flesh pots when we did eat bread to the full goodness that is a uh indictment of epic proportions or don't get you some of epic proportions the crazy thing about this though is this is really the the uh the obstinacy the the pushback we're getting with Mashiach because it's like there is no way that can be the Mashiach that we're waiting for and to bring the final redemption like that's nothing but a bunch of church and a bunch of Torahlessness lawless don't want none of that I don't even want to talk about it you killed my grandparents parents and you'll kill me and all this kind of stuff I don't want to hear that and you're just you're just a fake why would you even want to be Torah observant when you got all that. And it's just like, whoa, whoa. Because I'm just saying, that's literally, this is the, the mentality that exists in the world today. From either side, you can flip the script and make it a Christian uh, argument, or you can flip the script and make it a Jewish argument. Hence, we need a torch. We need some serious firepower. We need some serious sources. We need some serious connecting of dots. And we need the patience 
what is the patience that we need? We need the patience of Yeshua HaMashiach. I tell you, I ain't ever seen somebody more patient in my entire life than Yeshua HaMashiach. Good night. I mean, just think about it. Think about when he was at with the woman at the well and she was trying to talk to him about stuff that he already knew, you know, and he wasn't like raining on her parade. And then his Talmudine show up and they're like, hey, we need food, you know, and he's like, I got bread you don't know about. And they're like, what? Who gave him bread? I, that woman better not have touched him and gave him bread because that ain't Shomer Nagia. To which he did not, as I would have done, go, guys, it was a figure of speech. Or when he was asleep in the boat and his Talmudine woke him up, freaking out, like, don't you care that we're perishing? And he was like, okay, wind, waves, everybody just calm down. Shalom over here. Uh, turns to his Talmudine, you of little faith, why did you doubt? He didn't go, like, I'm talking patience. Oh, oh, get this. Nails in my hand and in my feet. Somebody gonna pierce me in my side as soon as I give up the ghost. I see you, Roman soldier. Uh, Come down. If you're the Mashiach, save yourself. You saved all those people, but you can't save yourself. Look at him. He's calling for Elijah. First of all, I was calling out to my father. Second of all, I am Elijah. Third of all, you killed Elijah because you beheaded him. Because I told you if you could accept it, that was Yochanan. But furthermore, Eliyahu got taken up in a whirlwind. So there's that. Third of all, I'm doing this for you because you don't even know what you're doing. Next of all, I'm fulfilling prophecy right now. Excuse me. Back to what I was doing. Like, patience. Oh my gosh. Like, he didn't even, he didn't say any of those words that I said. He really didn't. He didn't even think it. That's how legit our Mashiach is. So I don't know about you, but I just think on so many different levels, when we stop what we're doing, if we're in the midst of someone who is really just telling us we're illegit and all that kind of stuff, we just stop and return to Yeshua and start from there. Like, really? No, just stop. Connect all these dots. Look, connect this right here. I got, I got something for you. Put this in your pipe and smoke it. Okay. Not that I'm encouraging people to smoke, but check this out. Is this what I wanted? What did I want? Man, again, I took so many pictures. This is what I want. Ready? The Zohar explains the unity between Hashem and the Torah, which we know the Torah is Yeshua and the Spirit and all of that. The Holy One and the Torah are one. Zohar Shemot, section 260b. So I'll see no press edition. That's the one I got. I need to check that. I'm going to tab that. Zohar also explains the name of the Torah is Hashem. He and his name are one, as we say in the Elenu. For the Torah is the name of the Holy One, blessed is he. As the name of the Holy One is engraved in the ten words, the ten utterances of creation, which, yes, which means the Ten Commandments, is why Hashem says Anoki to introduce the Ten Commandments, because he's like, I'm going to let you know, my name is in this. I wrote myself down and gave it to you. So therefore, everything I'm about to say to you is me. This is my spirit. This is my Torah. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. 
And I did the same thing when I created the world. That's why the seal of creation is Emet, which is truth, which is another name of Hashem. But anyway, it says Hashem's name is engraved in the 10 words of the creative utterances of creation. So is the whole Torah engraved in the 10 words of the Decalogue, which is the 10 commandments. And these 10 words are the name of the Holy One. And the whole Torah is us one name, the holy name of God himself, Zohar Shemot. Section 2, page 90b. So I'm seeing no press edition. The Torah is one of the titles given to Zer Unpin. You know, this Memtet person that we talk about, the Kabbalah tree of life and all that, the image of man that the Sephirot make, that's called Zer Unpin. It says, Rabbi Eliezer said, they went out into the wilderness to gaze and perceive, but the Holy One, blessed be he, removed his precious splendor from there. They went in order to conceive him but did not find him. We have learned that the Holy One, blessed is he, is called Torah. The Holy One, blessed is he, is called Torah. The Holy One, blessed is he, is called Torah. Hashem is called Torah. HaKadosh Baruch Hu, Torah. Hashem is Torah. Therefore, when the Torah became flesh, it was Hashem. Anyway, therefore, water is Torah, and Torah is the Holy One, blessed be he. Zohar Shemot Beshalak. And then we got the Zohar says that this is accomplished by Zer Unpin, which is the Vav, which is the sun. Interesting point out real quick, swerve barrel roll, that Yod and Hay with Vav and Hay, the Yod is the father, the Hay is the mother, the Vav is the son, and the Hay is the daughter. So it's literally a family unit is Hashem's name. This is why if you have a family, you're manifesting the name of Hashem in the world. Why is the family under attack? Why are we trying to have two yodes instead of a yod and hay? Or why are we trying to have two hays instead of a yod? Now you get the picture because you can erase and blot out Hashem's name. So if little Johnny is calling mom and dad mom, you know, like if there's two moms as opposed to a mom and a dad, or if there's two dads and which dad is trying to be the mom, like that's awkward. Yeah, it's just like, yeah, because, you know, you can change Hashem's name when you do that. They've changed Yeshua's name already. So what's why not just go the whole route? And it's just like, and these are the days of Noah. Last point here, Vav. It says, this is through the mystic influence of the Vav, who is always in readiness to pour on it blessing. And who is the son of freedom? Oh, didn't Yeshua say something about being made free? You know, he who the son sets free is free indeed. Anyway, the son of Jubilee, which is the son of the, the Yovel, the year of freedom for those who are captive. And it says, even by the way, the Yovel year frees those, even those who got their ear pierced, who didn't want to leave their master's house during the Shemitah cycles. When the Jubilee came, which was at the end of seven Shemitah cycles, uh, you had to go. Anyway, just saying, even if you didn't want to be free, you're going to get free. You're going to get this freedom, basically. That's a Vav, that's a Zerampin, that's the Sun, that's the Torah, that's a Shem. It says, who obtains for slaves their freedom he is the sion of the supernal world the author of all life of all illuminations and all exalted states zohar 1 124b sonsino press edition yeshua says i am the father of one yokanon 1030 
anyway, author, perfecter, and finisher of our Amuna. That's the Torah. That's the Vav. That's Zerampin. That's Hashem. Shatuf that, right? Anyway, I, I did not say that from a, a, a standpoint of trying to be arrogant, but goodness, don't ever let somebody test you like that. Now, it says in this last thing, manna came down, this is back to the legends of the Jews, deserves its name, the bread of angels, not only because it's prepared by them. Stop it. Just stop it. Because angels totally came and tended to Mashiach after he was tempted by Hasatan in the wilderness. Oh my gosh. They were making new manna. Goodness. Because he was getting ready to break fast. Because it was after 40 days. It's like, okay, time to eat. Let's go ahead and make some manna. We do this in Hashemayim, but I guess we can do this in the wilderness. All right, cool. That's fine. That's originally where, you know, manna got introduced into the world. Why not reintroduce it into the world? Goodness. How long has it been since the uh, exile from or since the exodus from Egypt? You know, we're looking at the beginning of the Roman exile a little bit before. That's a long time. We've been through Babylon. We've been through Persia media. We've been through, uh, you know, Greek or Greece, you know, we already had the Hanukkah story happen. Anyway, says manna deserves its name, bread of the angels, not only because it's prepared by the, them, but because those who partake of it become equal to the angels in strength and furthermore like them. And they have no need of easing themselves. Like, in other words, you ain't got to go to the bathroom. When you truly eat the manna of Hashem, you don't have to go to the bathroom, which means that we don't have true manna available today because a lot of us still have to go to the bathroom. And those of you who don't have to go to the bathroom because you really don't have to and it's not a medical thing, what's wrong with you? Why aren't you sharing? Anyway, it says, uh, as manna is entirely dissolved into the body, not until they sin did they have to ease themselves like ordinary mortals. In other words, when we were eating the manna, it made us immortal. Okay, manna also showed its heavenly origin in the miraculous flavor it possessed. There was no need of cooking or baking it. So when people were trying to cook the manna, what was the deal with that? It's just like, you don't have to cook this. It's like, but I have to, I have to do it. It's just like, you're going to observe yourself into a uh, a knot of cotton. I mean, of a uh, yarn. You know, when yarn like gets balled up and it's like you can't know how to untangle it. And it's just like, yeah, that's people who cook manna just because they feel like they have to. Like, you don't need to cook this. What are you doing? Uh, I guess if you have free time, I don't know. There was no need of cooking or baking it, nor did it require any other preparation. Goodness. And still it contained the flavor of every conceivable dish. One had only to desire a certain dish and no sooner had he thought of it than the manna had the flavor of that desired dish. You already know what I'm thinking. Chala. Man, mm, just eat it right now kind of thing. Anyway. And it says the same food had a different taste to everyone who partook of it. So this manna, you know, uh, tasted different to everybody, but it was the same manna. There was an insight that was brought down about this is the the uh, the illumination, the insight of Torah and the wisdom and the knowledge of Torah and all of that. Uh, it's measured out to us according to our ability to receive it. 
So uh, as we're like, oh, I wish I understood more. It's like, well, you have to make yourself a receptacle for more. How do you do that? How is your Mido? How's your character traits? How much are you studying? How much of this worldly stuff are you involved in? Because if you're a person who reads People magazine, like a person who sits on the couch and eats chips and salsa and uh, cheese whiz, like if you're that kind of person who doesn't put forth any effort in your couch potato and you don't really try and put yourself in that position, then you're not really going to be doing yourself any favors. It's okay to sit on the couch and be couch potato sometime, but if you couch potato like eight days a week, then that's a problem. But anyway, so there's how all that works. And then it says, uh, the same food had a different taste to everyone who partook of it according to his age, which by the way, um, insight from Parsha Noak is that we did not used to lose strength as we got older, but we used to gain strength as we got older. Hence why Moshe was 120 slaying giants. I digress. But uh, also that uh, parents never saw the death of their children and they actually lived until their grandchildren. Uh, and that um, we were super strong uh ti tigers and lions were like fleas and mosquitoes to us uh we lived for really long times uh when we had children they were able to be born and walk and talk and, and run around and play like a child would do in the same day so like all that kind of stuff and this was all life before you know the tragic flood anyway so it says, um, according to his age, the little children, when they ate manna, it tasted like milk. To the strong youths, it tasted like bread. To the old men, it tasted like honey. And to the sick, like barley steeped in oil and honey. A miraculous, or as miraculous as the taste of manna was, it, uh, it descent, or as miraculous as the taste of manna, was its descent from Hashemayim. First, it came, first came a north wind to sweep the floor of the desert, then a rain to wash it clean. Wow, this is like Hashem sweeping and mopping literally the floor. That's crazy. Then dew descended upon it, which was congealed into a solid substance by the wind that it might serve as a table for the heaven descending gold but no insects or vermin might settle on the manna the frozen dew formed not only a tablecloth like a holla cover but also a cover for the manna so that it lay enclosed there as in a casket no they did not they just talked about basically, you know, how Mashiach's body was wrapped up and put into a tomb. That, that's kind of like how the manna was. Anyway, uh, protect it from soiling and pollution above and below. So in other words, when this manna comes down, it's on its own table and then the water already making couches and stuff. So you can literally have a booth and your table like at restaurant style 
got your booth, your table, and you got your cover already on the mana. And then there's another cover underneath that. That's why you have a hollow cover with some linen uh, that you put over your hollow loaf and all that kind of stuff. And that's why the matzah bag looks like it looks for Pesach and all this kind of stuff. And so really, you're just looking at this whole miraculous drop. So you got perfume coming from the well. You got more immortality coming from the mana. Like, I don't even know what to do right now. So I'm done. Um, I do want to share just some quick, um, flash grenades to everybody. Um, this is from the weekly power shot. It's a coloring book. It's not a coloring book, but it has color pages with pictures in it. It's like, it looks like a children's book. Let me just put it that way. And it's probably the most violent, uh, insights I've read in my entire life. So in paradise, check this out. So this is on one of them pages, page 11. <clears throat> it says, imagine living in a hotel for free. All meals are served and you don't have to clean up afterwards. Mom and dad don't have to go to work because there are no bills to pay. Everything is free. A place of no worry. Paradise, right? Well, that was the kind of place Hashem invited Adam to live in. It was a special place created for him, a garden on the eastern side of a place called Eden. The garden was called Gan Eden. The garden had many different trees full of mouth-watering fruit. When Adam wanted a snack, all he had to do was pick fruits and eat. Delicious fresh rolls grew on the trees. Holla! If he wanted something more, angels would roast meat for him that dropped from heaven, just like the manna did, like we talked about. Hence why the manna could taste like meat. So why are you asking for meat? So that is the question. Anyway, so the meat would come down from heaven and then it says roasted by the angels. And it says they also served him wine. There was no illness, no death. The garden was a place where Adam would have no worries. He could spend all his time serving Hashem. Adam didn't even need to water the garden. It got its water from a river, kind of like the well that watered all the creation here that we talked about in the wilderness. And it says it got its water from that river that flowed through Ghani Din. So when you really look at this, one of the biggest things that we're doing is fighting our way out of exile as Shuva heroes. Hence why the Geo series is a thing. We need to go off because we got to fight to get back home. People need to get out of our grills, like trying to keep us from the faith and stuff. But, you know, it's not like we need to, you know, muff them. You know, don't don't do that. But, you know, fight for your faith. You know, it's called fight to get fight for a reason. And ultimately the end of what we're doing we want it to be the redemption and we're taking uh, a hold of the reins that mashiach left for us until he gets back he says will i find faith when i come back are, are people still going to be holding fast to you know torah and yeshua like when i get back you know salvation torah walking in repentance you know are people going to be doing that when i get back it's going to be the days of noah I hope that there's not just Noah and his family on this ark. I hope that there's like thousands and billions and jillions of arcs everywhere. Hence, Lapid, we got work to do, so let's go off. 
Amen.